considered uh, as a Christian or just as a human being? Happiness. Is it okay for me to want to be happy? You might have even thought as a Christian, is it okay for me to seek happiness? Does God want me to be happy? Sometimes you read your Bible and you, you know, we've kind of got this um, image to, to the world that Christians are, are, are not fun. We're not a happy people, we're a stoic people. God's sort of this wet blanket, that's what the Bible is. It's all these rules of what we can't do. That's the question, does God want us to be happy? It can be a pretty profound question. Christians have wrestled with that question for centuries. Pastor David is taking you through the topic of common grace. And common grace deals with happiness in a way, because what is common grace? Common grace is God causing both the wicked and the righteous to prosper, to find enjoyment in this life. So that makes happiness sometimes a, a tough pill to swallow for Christians, because when we look at the world, we sometimes have to admit it looks like they're having more fun than us. It looks like the wicked are prospering more than the righteous. Sinners seem to have more fun. So does God want us to be happy? It goes without saying, we want us to be happy. We want to be happy. It's like wired into our nature as humans. Why do you think Disney movies are so popular? Because they speak to that, that heart desire we all have to be happy. You know, Disney brings all this different stuff. It's through finding Prince Charming. It's through finding your identity and finally being comfortable in your skin. There's all these different ways, but it's all about that happy ending. And so that appeals to us because we want to be happy. But again, I ask you, does God want you to be happy as a Christian? Does he want you to be happy in this life, in this world? Brother and sister, maybe yours has been a season of suffering, of struggle, of loss, maybe a prolonged season of discontent or frustrations, unmet expectations, and you just feel in your soul, nah, God doesn't want me to be happy. And maybe you've come to peace with that. That's okay, that's just my lot in this life. God doesn't want me to be happy. Perhaps as reformed people, we've become very wary of prosperity gospel, false teachings. You know, these false teachings that prosperity preachers hawk of health, wealth, happiness, prosperity, healing, all this stuff, and we're like, whoa, we wanna stay away from that stuff. And so it almost for us feels like heresy if, if we say God wants me to be happy. We don't wanna sound like those prosperity guys, prosperity girls. We, we might feel like the right thing for us to say as Reformed people is, God wants him to be holy, not happy. And of course that is true. God wants his people to be holy. And holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. In fact, the Bible teaches that the only way to truly be happy is to be holy. That's the only path to find happiness. Consider Jesus' most well-known sermon when he preached at the Sermon on the Mount, thousands gathered, and he said to them, happy are those, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who seek holiness, for they shall be satisfied. So I'm delighted to bring you news today from Psalm 1 that God does want you to be happy in this world, in this life. God cares about your happiness. That's why the Bible's filled with 
texts about happiness, including the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, from which we will make three observations about happiness. It's not a pursuit. It's a mental reboot. It's root, then fruit. It's not a pursuit, but it's a reboot, and then it's root, then fruit. So let's talk about this not being a pursuit. Happiness is not a pursuit, uh, unlike the famous movie title, Pursuit of Happiness. No, it's not a pursuit. The psalm begins, blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right away, we start with a contrast. Contrast help us to know what something is by telling us what it isn't. And here we have a description of what happiness is not. It is not someone who walks in the counsel of the wicked stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, happiness is not found when you're walking the paths of the world. Now, there is happiness in the world, but when I mean the world, I mean the sinful, satanic, uh, you know, evil-driven world where, where the world is carving out paths to find happiness. And that's not where you're going to find happiness as a Christian. Now, this all appeals to us because we are in the world, and many of us are worldly people, myself included. So we know the obsession with happiness. We know how high of a premium we put on being happy. And we know how the world is so determined to pursue happiness in every way possible. It's the same things, nothing new under the sun. It's through possessions. It's through power and achievements. It's through fleshly fulfillments, lusts. Your classic money, power, sex battle there. And doing that is following the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, putting your desires first, your priorities first, your priorities over all else. And that kind of pursuit, ironically, and quite tragically, it, it is a pursuit that does not stop. You're always driven towards this ideal happiness, but it doesn't stop. The, the finish line keeps moving. It keeps changing. And, and the more you chase it, the more you find happiness to be something that's quite elusive. Consider this quote. Happiness is a butterfly, which when pursued seems always just beyond your grasp. That was written by some secular author. He wasn't a Christian, but he's essentially saying what we all know to be true. You can't catch happiness. You can't catch happiness. Now, it's not that we've stopped trying to catch happiness. We seem to be amnesiacs here, convincing ourselves that maybe if I just do this, I'll finally catch that butterfly. If there's anything humanity has excelled at, it is innovating ways to be happy. Think about all of our shiny, fancy toys and technologies, all our advances in healthcare. It's, it's, we're innovating ways to be happy. Think about your cell phone. I mean, anybody can broadcast in right now and watch this sermon. That's, that's incredible. Cell phones are incredible. How far we came in 20 years. I remember when I was in high school in my physics class, some guy from the tech industry came in and tried to tell us that one day cell phones are gonna have keyboards on them. And we were all like, bah, you're crazy. 
And now look what we can do on a cell phone. I mean, 20 years ago, I would have needed thousands of dollars of equipment to do what I can do today. I can pay my bills. I can control the temperature of my home. I could play the stock market. I could watch every single MCU movie on demand, on my phone. And then, of course, I can stay connected to my friend in Croatia and know what he had for dinner every single day last week. We have these amazing devices at the palm of our hand, and yet, what do we find ourselves doing many evenings? Right? Looking for something to make us have fun, but we just find ourselves bored. The world at our fingertips, bored. Now, do you think a phone can make you happy? Apple hopes so. But do you honestly think a phone can make you happy? Maybe you'll get the new phone, but at the end of that path, there's, there's still a 14, and then there'll be a 14S, and a 15, and an and a XX, I don't know, whatever they have in store. There's always gonna be the next something, and you're gonna want more, more, more. So you're chasing the butterfly. It's the impossible pursuit. That's how the world pursues happiness, and the world is content with that. It's always satisfying more, more, more. But true happiness is not a pursuit. It's not a pursuit. You can't be happy while you're pursuing happiness. That's the wisdom in Scripture. That's the wisdom that underpins Jesus' teaching when he talks about being anxious in that very Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't worry. Because if you're worried, you can't be happy. Because all you're thinking about is, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And Jesus says, don't be like that. No, look at the birds of the field or the birds in the sky. Look at the lilies of the field. See how it all prospers under the gracious provision of our Heavenly Father. Why do you worry? And as every good teacher does, after Jesus says, don't do this, he gives you what to do. He says, don't worry. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. There's a reordering Jesus speaks of here. It's a reordering of priorities. We tend to prioritize our stuff. What is the fruit of that? Worry, anxiety. That's why Jesus says in the very same sermon, don't store for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because you're always going to be worried about the moth and the rust and the dust. It's going to rot away. It's going to go away. Right? We need to reprioritize. If we could somehow reboot our priorities and prioritize the things of God, the things of the kingdom, then we begin to understand happiness. Then we begin to realize just how provided for we are as God's people. All these things will be added to you, says Jesus. If you're familiar with St. Augustine, this was a part of his path to conversion. He realized what a sinner he was and how much he desired the things of the flesh. And in his confessions, Augustine would write, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So happiness is a, is a reboot. Okay, this is the second point. It's not a pursuit, but it's a reboot. It's a mental reboot. It is a reordering of priorities. Here's how Psalm 1 puts it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but is the reboot. We're changing something. But his delight 
is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On the law, on the word of God, the happy man and the happy woman will meditate day and night. Meditate day and night. What is meditation? Monks and mystics and mindfulness aside, meditation is a Christian practice. It is one we should be doing constantly. In fact, it's one I would argue we do without even thinking about doing. Meditation is talking to yourself. But, but it's, a, it's a deliberating with yourself. You're chewing on something. You're considering. You're pondering something. You're mentally chewing and considering. Think about your brain like YouTube. And YouTube has so much content. So much content. Um, you know, a lot of that content is not good. You've probably been down a YouTube hole in your life at one point or another. I know I have. And there's a difference in quality between content. There's a difference in usefulness between a video of you know, some random guy seeing how many ghost peppers he could shove in his nose versus um, maybe a lecture on the attributes of God or a tutorial on how to fix your car engine. So your brain is like YouTube. Like there's a lot of content running in there. Some of it's good, a lot of it's not. A lot of it's bad. A lot of it's not useful. The question is, which content are you gonna to choose to follow? Because it's always running in your mind. At any given moment, there are multiple thoughts and narratives going through your mind as you process life, as you experience life. When you're by yourself, when you're driving your car, when you're meeting other people, when you're worried about how you're gonna be perceived by them, there's all these narratives you're telling yourself about you, your friends, your family, other people, your job, your church, your bank account, politics, sports, so much going on in there. In other words, you are talking to yourself. There's a meditation happening. Your mind's telling you what to think about everything. And then it's more complicated because it brings into that whole process, there is no such thing as objectivity in our minds. It brings into that emotions. It brings into that insecurities, further complicates things. And then, of course, I haven't even mentioned this thing called the sin nature that just hijacks it all. And so we've got a lot going on in there. And what the psalm is suggesting here is that as you go about meditating, processing life, talking to yourself, including processing all the challenges all the difficult things, all the bad things that are happening to you and the negative circumstances, as you face these trials, you will be blessed and you will be happy when you anchor your meditations. Remember, there's a lot of content, but when you anchor those meditations in the law of the Lord, when you're able to reboot your mind and allow your meditations all to run through this filter of God's law, the filter of God's word, when you use the law as a lens by which you understand everything else, when you meditate on the law day and night, when you make the law your delight, that's when you'll know true happiness. And there's the problem. If you make the law your delight, you will know true 
happiness. Who can be happy then? Is there anyone here who truly delights in the law? I mean, let's think about the law. Let's consider at least one thing. Uh, The content of the law that tells me I have to obey perfectly at risk of incurring the eternal judgment and wrath of a holy God. Can I delight in news like that? And then number two, consider this, that the law isn't delightful sometimes. It's just boring. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? I'm a pastor up here saying that the law is boring. (laughs) I mean, you know, every night I try. I, I don't do this every night, but I try to have reading time with my family. I try to bring scripture for the last 15 minutes of that. And when I bust out the Bible, my son Isaiah, my seven-year-old, he goes, ah, I don't want to read the Bible. I want to read Elephant and Piggy books. Y'all know what Elephant and Piggy? If you have kids soon, you probably will. But if not, then Frog and Toad. Remember Frog and Toad? It's like the new Frog and Toad. (laughs) I want to read Elephant and Piggy books. I don't want to read the Bible. It's so boring. And, you know, I feel like the Christian fatherly thing for me to do would be to scold him right there. How dare you say the Bible's boring? But I have to stop myself because I feel the same way. I mean, delighting in the law, I'd I'd much rather delight in Netflix than in Leviticus. I I just have to admit it. So this psalm, I'm I'm like, how do I delight? I can fake it and pretend I like it, but there's times that it's just, it's hard. How can we delight in the law and find true happiness? How can we reboot our sinful minds Reboot them to delight and meditate upon the word day and night. And the good news is for you, Christian, that Jesus has already accomplished this in you so that you could actually fulfill it and live it out. That's the good news of the gospel. You see, we needed an entire spiritual reboot. We needed, in fact, to be made new creations And this is precisely what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ took a heart that has zero ability or inclination towards the law, to either do the law, let alone to love the law. And now he took the law and he fulfilled it and wrote it on your hearts. That's the new covenant. Whoa, like mind-blowing. That's the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, God himself says, I will put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. He didn't say I'll make them write it and write it and write it a thousand times so they finally get it. No, he said, I'm going to write it myself on their hearts. In Ezekiel 36, God himself says, I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to be careful to obey my rules. God has taken the duty of the law and made it into a delight for us. That that is the DNA of the new creation that we have. We can now delight in the law. And he's done this by giving us the spirit of Christ. You know, Christ delighted to do the will of the Father. It was his food to do the will of his Father. And now we're in Christ We have Christ's spirit. We're united to Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now we're, we're, we're spiritually rebooted, right? New creations. 
we're enabled to do the will of the Father. We, we delight to do that which pleases our Lord. We could actually do perhaps the hardest command in the Bible, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, probably just as hard, and to love our neighbors as ourself. Because we've been united to Christ, you're a Christian because you've been united to Christ, not because of some statement you said at a revival, some water got dipped on your head. You're a Christian because you've been united to Christ. You've been rebooted. You've been rooted in Christ. And from that new soil, it is soil that nourishes you by the spirit, not by the flesh. We can now thrive and grow in true happiness. This is the final point. Happiness is root, then fruit. Verse three, the happy person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The imagery here is a tree planted next to a stream. In other words, it's rooted. And it's rooted in a place where there's constant access to flowing water, life-giving nourishment. And because of where that tree is rooted, not because of the quality of the tree itself or the power of the tree itself, but because of where it is rooted, its flourishing doesn't depend on what's going on outside because of what's happening inside. That doesn't change. What's happening from the ground up is constant. Doesn't matter, matter what the weather is. Doesn't matter there's a storm, there's a drought. This tree is able to yield its fruit and is able to prosper because of where it's rooted. And so, too, is the happy person, able to be happy, truly happy, truly blessed because of where they are rooted, to the point where their happiness is not dependent upon situations or circumstances. But they're able to remain happy in spite of circumstances or situations because the happy person's rooted in Christ. Happy person has clung to Christ and his word, thus allowing Christ to cling to him and to her. And from that root comes the fruit of true happiness. It is fruit that is yielded in its season, in its right time, in its right time, if this is happiness that's not forced, it's forged. There's a difference. It's not forced happiness. It's not forced through the endless pursuit of this butterfly. Oh, I want to be happy, so I'm going to get this thing and that thing. And no, this is a forged happiness. It's forged through joy and through trial, through rejoicing and through sorrow. And the fruit is true blessedness, true prosperity in Christ. A pastor once said that the person who's happy is the person who stopped trying to be happy. I think that's the wisdom of this first psalm. Happiness is, is not a pursuit. It's a reboot. 
it's rooted and then fruit comes from being in Christ. Blessed is the one who seeks the Father and the Son through the word. That's where true happiness is. Happiness that endures, that remains in the face of whatever challenges life, the world, the flesh, the devil throws at us. Now, sermon on happiness, and I want to end it on a happy note, but the psalm will not let us do that because there is a sobering warning for those who read the psalm and still choose to walk the paths that the world carves out towards happiness. For those who want to find happiness on their own terms, they are classified in the psalm as the wicked. Verse 4 uses some agricultural imagery here. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. You take the wheat and you do this, and the chaff blows away because you can't eat that stuff. Keep the kernel. That's, that's the wicked. They're, they're blown away. They're, 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 they're good for nothing. As the wicked follow their own paths towards happiness, all those roads that the wicked are, are running down, they're going to end up in one place. What does the psalm say? The way of the wicked will perish. That's the fate of those who will seek life outside the Father, outside the Son. It's not new. Jesus would tell his disciples the same thing. He'd tell his disciples, you really want to follow me? If you really want to follow me, whoever would save his life will lose it. But you've got to be willing to lose your life for me and for the gospel's sake, and then you'll truly save it. So there is a warning here on this sermon on happiness. And I pray that God would give you ears to hear. Now, even as Christians, we need to be reoriented to this. Any happiness outside of Christ will lead to your ultimate destruction. But seek first Christ. Seek Christ. Delight in his word. Rest in his work. Obey his will. And you'll know happiness. Not just for eternal life, but you'll know happiness today. Let's pray.